episode 195, the Pentec Conference Triple Play, Above the Brand, Patient Centricity, and the Schism Between Pharma and Startups. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. This episode is a little different. I attended a conference over the summer, the Pentec Pharma Engagement Technology Summit, and I had the opportunity to talk with three of the presenters while there. Anton Yaravoy from Gettinga, Alec Pettifer from Suezio Consulting, and Joe Shields from Health Accelerators. First thing, though, Seth Painter, one of the co-hosts, sets me straight on what the conference is actually called and what it's about. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. I'm thrilled to have Seth Painter on Relentless Health Value. What is the official name of this conference? Pentech, but it's the Pharma Engagement Technology Summit 2018, brought to you by Panagora Pharma. You know, this is the fifth annual Pen Tech Mobile Technology Summit that started about five years ago, and, and the focus was exclusively on mobile technology because back then, in 2013, 2014, that was cool. Mobile was all the rage, but now mobile is like oxygen. It's all around us. The technology part of it is something that's woven into our everyday lives. We switched around to add some additional types of engagement platforms, the AR and VR and blockchain, etc. The reason that I get involved is because it gives me an opportunity to learn more about the market from a very broad spectrum. I get to see a lot of great speakers, bring a lot of great ideas, and allow myself to be immersed in the conversation that surrounds those. First up, I have the immense pleasure to talk with Anton Yaravoy from Gettinga about a super well-received program that intertwines a charitable donation, something neat for kids, and also brand recognition. I am here today with Anton Yaravoy from Gettinga. Gettinga. That was amazing. I cannot say it the proper Swedish way. Well, you know what? It's very, very rare that my Swedish actually comes in handy in a business setting. Exactly. So I'm going to take... It's your day. It is my day. That's right. So you were just up on stage Mm -hmm. and you gave a fascinating presentation about coloring books of all things. Yes. You at Gettinga, you create a drainage... Unit, yes, yes. For pediatric heart patients. Yes. That wasn't actually getting used because hospital purchasing departments were purchasing the adult units. To save a little bit of money, yes. To save a little bit of money. So you were inspired, mm-hmm. and I'm not exactly sure exactly how this, the, the order of events, but you were inspired to create coloring pages to help make sure that our littlest patients, as you called them, receive the right drain in order that they can heal. Yes. Do you want to pick up the story from here? Absolutely. The way it came about is I, I just had a lot of nurse practitioners or trade shows that were specialized pediatrics, super 
surprised by this product. And we've had this product on the market for quite a long time. And so the image on the product is two bears fishing on a little island. The product is called the Oasis. So that's why I was inspired by coloring books, which are so prolific right now across the all of our industries. And so I spun off that and created coloring pages so we could color for the kids, partnered with a, a fantastic organization, the Children's Heart Foundation, which supports congenital heart defect research. And from there on, we had these coloring pages that just went everywhere, pediatric units, they could be accessed online. And the response was overwhelming. People truly cared to support our littlest patients in that way. And it enabled our healthcare providers to be also the voice for these patients and demand that our littlest guys and gals get the right product when they're recovering from heart surgery. So you told about an anecdote while you were up on the the stage of a nurse who took a photograph of the refrigerator in the (laughs) cardiac unit Mm -hmm. of all of the colored in coloring pages. Yep. And, you know, what'd she do? She sent the picture to the purchasing department? Yes, she saw that they were they had adult ones once again and because the pages have been there we do them seasonally they've been around they're on the refrigerator just like your home refrigerator when your kids do a nice drawing you know they put it up there and uh, so she went down there and said hey I want the tra- this drain and then she pointed at the drain <laughs> the picture of the bears and we're the only pediatric product that has the bears <laughs> so so do you feel like this is the Relentless Health Value podcast. Mm -hmm. So obviously we are striving to figure out ways that we can help improve patient outcomes. Yes. How do you feel that this effort enabled the patients that you're serving Mm -hmm. to get better outcomes? So the way it enabled it is it provides our healthcare providers with the right product. So one of the things with a pediatric patient is they have such low volume. So with this particular product, there is less dead volume in the product. The tubing has been made smaller and the connectors there. That also allows for less dead airspace and it provides an easier way for our nurses that are taking care of these patients to connect to the patient easily. They don't have to run around and find the connector. It's right on the product itself. Mm -hmm. So the way it's benefiting the patient is it's creating a safer environment for them when they're being traveling. Mm -hmm. And then it's allowing the healthcare providers a faster access to everything they need for that patient. So basically what the coloring pages do is empower the nurses to make sure that they're getting the right product. Well, it creates the visibility so that, so, and that's where, where it happened. It's, you know, the visibility of the product fell off to a point where they didn't even know it existed. So now that we've placed it back in the forefront, now they know that it's there and they can order it and make sure that that's the product they're getting. Got it. So obviously, Gettinger is a it's a large international corporation with a mm-hmm. lot of regulations. What do you do? Just like march into the <laughs> corporate office and be like, I have an idea. Uh, I feel like a lot of times I pretty much do that. <laughs> yes. Um, but no, yeah, I said I have this idea. I want to create coloring pages. And they were like, that's insane. And how are we going to give these out? And, you know, don't you know about the Sunshine Act? And um, but then I kind of worked through the process and I I looked at things that 
existed in the past and there's always a solution and because this was we partnered with the foundation and we explained the coloring pages on the back so mm-hmm. and also we made this unbranded uh, at the end of the day this was initially an unbranded campaign mm-hmm. to really create awareness about this particular image which connects to the product but you were helping children and we were supporting a, a very amazing foundation so through a lot a lot of meetings <laughs> I showed them how this benefits the company overall to create a softer image, especially at a time when we had some back orders that really created a negative impression of our company. Yeah. And you had also mentioned that you positioned it as a social responsibility. Absolutely. And I feel like all companies of our size have that responsibility to the patient. We don't just create a product, but we also profit from it. And I feel every company should always be helping the community that we're profiting from. I think it's absolutely key. And so this is one of the ways that we were helping the community back. And if someone is interested in seeing all these gorgeous drawings, they should go to Instagram and search for... So there's two locations. We have, if you go to gettinga.com backslash color for the kids, you can access a gallery there that's via Flickr. And then hashtag color for the kids will bring up some a lot of the submissions that happened on Instagram. Yes. Wow. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Anton. Thank you so much. Next, I shanghaied Alec Pettifer from Suezio Consulting for a short chat. Alec gets real about patient centricity in pharma. I'm speaking with Alec Pettifer from Suezio Consulting. You are an expert in patient centricity. Specifically, patient centricity in digital health. The rest of the world is using engagement or creating engagement might be the right way to put it that pharma is just starting to cotton on to even that they're not. There are topics that we continue to talk about. And this is pharma. This is a multi-billion dollar industry that really hasn't adopted the engagement technologies that other industries have. And I think while it's a criticism of pharma, it's a constructive one. And what I appreciate is that the people in this room today are focused in this area and working towards it, as am I. And so hopefully events like this can bring us together so that we can move the ball forward and really achieve the kind of vision that we're all starting to share um, and and that's such an important goal because the rest of the world is doing it and we need to do it too in pharma. We are living in a digital connected age and information and services are available at our fingertips instantly and, you know, voice activation on your phone and the, our whole lives are in our phone and it's, it's happening all the time, every day. Pharma and healthcare are held back and restricted by heavy regulation that's intended to protect us from, you know, charlatans. And we need all of that scientific validation and we need to make sure that we're being taken care of. There's also, this has created a culture in pharma and healthcare that is extremely conservative, extremely slow to adopt change and slow to adopt new technologies. At the same time, there's a point at which the whole thing falls behind the innovations that can really improve patients' quality of life, that can cure disease, that can end suffering. And I think for those of us in the industry who are about that, the patient-centric people are about that, okay, then it is a, a new age and we can grasp it. And the hope is that we can move forward and, and get beyond those kinds of things and think more positive for the future as opposed to being held back by regulation and 
and, and the accounting department and the, the naysayers and this kind of thing. So let me ask you this as a patient centricity guy. Sometimes I get the feeling that regulations are used as an excuse less than maybe a driver to be very brand centric. I mean, I think it's everyone's first instinct, maybe, especially if you're trying to sell a brand to be all about the brand, be brand first and brand centric. Sometimes I wonder whether pharma is brand centric because they've been able to do so because they had monopolies and because the business model, you know, kind of if everybody's doing it, there's no differentiator that's going to necessarily create a business advantage. So you kind of create this environment where pharma does not have to be patient centric. Absolutely. It's in the culture. It is the culture. And the dominant culture right now is not patient centricity. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you some, some insight why. Maybe I'm wrong, but this is what I believe from my experience. And that is that patient centricity is the idea of it. The brand-focused, brand-centric culture of pharma has existed for a long time. This transitioned historically to sort of a payer focus. There was a physician focus, a provider focus for a long time. And now the leaders, the very top leaders, that C-level a few years ago discovered something fascinating about our world and their industry. And that is that things are changing and they have to respond to this change. Now, my concern is that that top-down approach to patient centricity never makes it past the PR department. It never gets into the brand teams. They're trying, but there's a pervasive culture in pharma that resists this change for all the reasons that we mentioned previously. There's a heavy regulatory and compliance burden. People are afraid to think differently. They're afraid to make changes. They're afraid to speak out. They're afraid to try something new. But once you're able to have very smart people navigate that labyrinth of, of regulations and compliance issues and that culture, sometimes you'll get a bright spark, somebody who can pull off an initiative that really makes a difference, that really has an impact. And then what you see, what they do is they shout it to the stars, right? They promote it everywhere. And that's what we want. We want promotion and high visibility of successful patient-centric initiatives and campaigns. But we also want to encourage people to take steps in their own organization where when, how, and as they can to be more patient-centric in any way that they can. And do you see us having reached the inflection point? You know, in other words, if I'm looking at a bell curve here, how many pharma companies are at a point where they're thinking to themselves, wow, in order for me to achieve the results that I have been achieving in the past, given the environment, you know, if the environment changes, what did Winston Churchill say? When the facts change, I change my mind. You know, like the facts are starting to change. So people are going to have to start switching it up. Do you find that there's a whole lot of people who are kind of, you know, in um, what of crossing the chasm parlance, you know, like laggards that they're just kind of waiting until they're forced to? Or do you see that, you know, it's becoming more and more commonplace that pharma is not just talking the talk, but they're actually walking the walk at the brand level, as you say. That is a really difficult question to answer because it really is like pulling back the layers of an onion. And it's hard to say because there is a lot of talking the talk and there is some really great walking the walk. 
I think we're at a tipping point intellectually. I think everybody agrees we're going somewhere and the change has to happen. I think there is no agreement whatsoever on what the future looks like five years from now, 10 years from now. And the reason for that is the intersection of this patient-centric motivation and impetus being mashed with digital technology. And the digital technology can accelerate patient centricity. That's my whole gig. That's what I'm all about is using digital technology, you know, mobile health technology, digital technology to drive patient centricity and also inform digital health initiatives with a patient-centric focus, right? Here's the thing. That technological innovation is happening at such a rapid pace, so fantastically quickly, that it changes month to month. And so, no one can say where we'll be five years from now, 10 years from now. And everybody's trying to catch the right moment and the right wave and, and get it done. And so, those who are inspired to do that are the ones who inspire me. So, I, I think it's hard to say where we're going to be down the road. But I do think intellectually, we're at that tipping point. But in terms of implementation, just a little bit of wait and see. Yeah, and that's a tough spot for pharma to be in because there's no safe, you know, in the past, the safe route was always what we did last year. And now if we all are beginning to recognize that the future is not going to look like the past, then not having that safety net is unsettling. It's very difficult to apply budget in such a situation. Indeed. Because where do you where do you put your chips? Where do you put your budget? And and the thing is everybody's looking for a sure bet. And there isn't one. And so there's a lot of money going into digital health that is speculative and there's a lot of money evaporating out of digital health because it's speculative. So I think we need a little bit more security in there, a little bit more reliability. We need to shake out some of the charlatans, I guess, mm -hmm. and get to real platforms and processes and systems that really deliver on innovation so that pharma can take its great ideas, channel them through that technology, deliver it to patients, and then create this engagement dialogue and interaction that can happen. And then the world blossoms from there. Well, you would think that the digital tech that is the most patient-centric is going to be the tech that rises to the top and does actually return the impact that it was designed to do. So if someone is looking for a patient-centricity expert such as yourself, where might they find you? You can email me a.pettifer, P-E-T-T-I-F-E-R, at Suazio, S-U-A-Z-I-O, or Twitter at Alec Pet, A-L-E-C-P-E-T-T, -T, and then you'll find me from there. It was really nice to speak with you today. Thank you so much. And lastly, I speak with Joe Shield, who has just launched a new company with the aim of helping pharma and startups get past language and culture barriers. Welcome to the Relentless Health Valued podcast, Joe. Thank you. Glad to be here. Why don't you talk about health accelerators? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I've been in the pharmaceutical and medical devices industries for about 20 years and left about two weeks ago to start a company called Health Accelerators. Now, Health Accelerators is a uh, marketing services agency 
designed really to help small technology companies and, and other types of suppliers sell and market into pharma. So really trying to understand how do they best explain their value proposition, how do they uh, talk about their technology in a way that their customers with inside pharma would understand, as well as really trying to uh, help them with their marketing communications, because a lot of these companies are fairly small. They've been focused on the technology and not so much on telling a, a great story. Do you feel like that there is kind of an inherent misalignment maybe between a small health tech, nimble, agile health tech company and a large lumbering, inflexible pharmaceutical entity? Not just pharma. I think most big companies are, are mismatched to small companies, but they need each other, right? So I think big companies provide the capital, they provide the structure, they provide a lot of the stability and, and access maybe to the market. Technology companies and, and uh, small biotechs are providing innovation. They're providing new ideas. They are providing that agility, closest to the customer. So I think you do need both in this world. Maybe in 10 years you won't, but also that's where a lot of the VC money comes in is to, to help match up those two entities. And you have conferences like Bio, which is taking large life sciences companies and matching them up with small technology and, and biotech companies as well. Do you see more of a model of pharma supplying the capital for these companies? Or is it more of a tighter relationship where the health tech company is actually facilitating business needs? That's a great question. I think it's got to be a different look at partnerships. I think, you know, originally partnerships in this industry have been about, you know, you pay us and we give you the technology or you pay us, we give you the employees of the company. I think we're going to have to get a bit more creative, right? So IP is certainly driving a lot of value in healthcare, of course. And I think what we need to find out is what's possible in terms of partnerships. You know, can you have more risk share agreements? Because I know large companies, particularly in pharma, their financial systems can't really handle risk sharing like smaller companies, VCs, et cetera. So I think it's really kind of opening their mind to different kinds of partnerships. What is the model? If you think about Procter & Gamble 10, 15 years ago, they had this open innovation concept where they would essentially force themselves to get most of the innovation in the company from outside. And that has worked very well for them, as you know. Interesting. Do you feel like pharma at this juncture, and we're standing in a conference surrounded by people from pharmaceutical companies, what is it that you feel like that individuals who are attending a mobile conference, because that's where we are right now, what do you think the most important thing that they need to know is about either the trend that's going on right now or just sort of the potential of these digital solutions? Sure. I have at least two hats that I'm wearing. One is, uh, you know, formerly pharma and not, not too distant past. And now I'm you know, president of an agency that's really focused on more clear communications into pharma about things like new technologies. I, I think it's important for both parties to understand that the, the shiny new object parade is never going to end, right? So now it's all about blockchain. A few months ago, it was about something else. Six months from now, it'll be about something else. And I think it's really understanding you, you need to understand the fundamentals of your business. You need to understand fundamentals of customer need and really what problems are you solving. It's, it's really not about the technology. It's about solving problems for your customers and your business. And if you you start there, the technologies will become, I would say, self-evident or you'll create something that's actually solving the problem. I think the disease that we have in, in big companies and maybe even in small some of these startups is you look at the technology and if you're good with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think what we're trying to say is, look, you start with the problem and then you start to build solutions around actually solving a problem that matters to people, not, you know, sometimes we see out of Silicon Valley solving problems that nobody cares about except maybe rich people. 
Yeah, for sure. I've actually had multiple podcast guests say that their favorite quote is love the problem, that you really have to <laughs> love the problem, not so much the solution. So where can people go for more information if they're interested in learning more about health accelerators? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, we certainly have a website. It's www.healthaccelerators.com. And uh, we're on social media and, and everywhere else you would expect to find us. But uh, really appreciate the time here and, and good luck. Well, thank you and good luck to you. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week, the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.